0: mm Thank you. Thank you very much. And welcome to Scripture and Tradition. I'm Father Mitch Paco, and This is a program where we take a look at the Word of God, sacred Scripture. And we do so through the lens of the tradition that goes back to the apostles. But also, we are especially focusing on how we can pray through Scripture. This is pretty much a continuation of of the series of programs we did on my book, How to Listen When God is Speaking. It's learning how to listen to God speak to us through the Word of God. Now, we'd love to have you be part of the show. You can do that by adding your questions or comments. During the live show, you can call in from North America. It's one 800 221 1 800 221 9460. If you are outside North America, you can still call, but it is country code one, area code 205 271 2980. We'll put you right to the front of the line. Or, like these nice folks have done from different parts of the country, you can come here and be part of our studio audience. Or, if you can't do that, you can also send us your questions and comments via email writing to Scripture and Tradition at EWTN.com. And finally, you can also follow us and participate with the show on YouTube. Now, today we will complete and wrap up this series of programs on Jesus' mission of doing miracles in Galilee. And we'll take a look at this from this final episode by seeing how our Lord confronts His disciples' lack of understanding. That this is a lack of understanding due to their own blindness, deafness, and hardness of heart. Also, we'll use the second part of this show TO INTRODUCE THE NEW SCRIPTURE AND TRADITION STUDY SERIES. NOW WE'LL BEGIN full fledged NEXT WEEK, BUT WE'LL START TO LOOK AT THE INTRODUCTION TO IT AND EXPLORE THE GOSPELS WITH TRYING TO UNDERSTAND AND PRAY ABOUT HOW THE ALL-KNOWING LORD, JESUS CHRIST, ANTICIPATED THE CURRENT TROUBLES THAT WE HAVE IN THE CHURCH, Uh, especially the scandals caused by the clergy and the hierarchy. And the goal of this will be to understand our Lord's perspective in Scripture and how we can prayerfully and tangibly work for our own holiness, our own orthodox faith, and help call the whole church to it. This new series of shows will begin next week and will be based on my last book, which is called Wheat and Tears*. You'll be able to get that at EWTN's Religious Catalog. Just go to EWTNRC.com. And the book, Wheat and Tears* is item number 81098. Of course, you can still get the other book, Praying the Gospels, Jesus Miracles in Galilee, also at ewtnrc.com, where it is item number 52885. If you missed any of the past programs on that series, you can go back and watch them at our website, eWtn.com, or at our YouTube channel, youtube.com EWTN. Or you can download the free EWTN app and see the archive programs there or the live programs too. All right. So let us now get to the material at hand in Mark chapter 8, verses 17 to 21, where our Lord Jesus confronts the apostles' lack of understanding. If you remember, right before this, they had heard Jesus say, beware of the leaven of the Pharisees and the Herodians. They think he's talking about their failure to bring some bread with them. That's what they think. So we begin from that point. Being aware of this, that, that they thought it was bread they were missing, JESUS SAID TO THE DISCIPLES, WHY DO YOU DISCUSS THE FACT THAT YOU HAVE NO BREAD? DO YOU NOT YET PERCEIVE OR UNDERSTAND? ARE YOUR HEARTS HARDENED? HAVING EYES, DO YOU NOT SEE? AND HAVING EARS, DO YOU NOT HEAR? AND DO YOU NOT REMEMBER? When I broke the five loaves for the 5,000, how many baskets full of broken pieces did you take up? And they said to him, 12. And the seven loaves for the 4,000, how many baskets full of broken pieces did you take up? They said to him, seven. And he said to them, do you not yet understand? This is very important, especially if you recall how the Pharisees had already asked for a sign. And now we see even the apostles don't understand. So let's take a look at this. First notice, our Lord uses a series of rhetorical questions. He knows the answer and they know the answer. But by asking it as a question form, instead of just telling them, people have to pause a moment and think about the answer. Yeah, I know that answer. And, you know, I messed up. That's why he asks questions. That's why parents do that with their children. Do you know where these cookies went? Another, like, questions. Um, I don't know is not a good answer. In those cases, well, same with the apostles. So this is a very important device. And he's trying to get them to move away from worrying about the lack of bread. And he wants them to understand that he's warning them about the influence of the Pharisees and their lack of faith and the Herodians with their political concerns two things that are still relevant for us today and notice how the lord again asks rhetorically uh, each of you know the group are you hard of heart are you blind are you deaf and these questions go back to Mark chapter 4, verse 11, when Jesus said to the apostles, to you has been given the secret of the kingdom of God, but for those outside, everything is in parables, so that they may indeed see, but not perceive, and that they may hear, but not understand. So this is something that he had said about the crowds, but he was explaining the parables to the apostles. And even after all of that personal and separate teaching, what he taught the crowds, he left unexplained. But he would go back and explain to the apostles again and again. And they still did not understand. This is very important. And they have the secret of the kingdom of God. He's been teaching them that. And they still don't have the ability to see. That's why he asks the question, the rhetorical question, are your hearts hardened? Is that what it may, remember, the parable back in chapter 4 that this follows is the parable of the seed that fell some on a path, some on rocky ground, some among the thorns, and others' seed fell on the good ground. And he's asking them a very serious question. Are you hardened like a pathway that's been stepped on? Are you hardened like rocky ground? Are you full of thorns that choke out my word? This is the kind of question he has to ask. And it's very important because in the next part of the gospel, we will see very serious incomprehension by the apostles. And that's one of the topics we'll be taking when we go through wheat and tares. So it's obvious that they did not you know, understand. And this is uh, something that they're they're unable to see. And if you remember back, it wasn't the first time he asked them about the hardness of heart. Think back on Mark chapter 6, verses 49 to 52. This is when they saw Jesus walking on the sea and they thought it was a ghost. And they cried out, for they all saw him but were terrified. But immediately he spoke to them and said, Take heart, I am. Have no fear. And he got into the boat with them, and the wind ceased. And they were utterly astounded, for they did not understand about the loaves, but their hearts were hardened. This is a very uh, terrible thing to have the Gospels say, and that's how they're remembered, that even when they see Jesus walk on water, they don't understand. They didn't understand the miracle of the loaves and fish, and their hearts are hardened. And this is something that is said of the apostles. And so this is a very uh, crucial point it's obvious that when our Lord asks them here in chapter 8, Do you understand? the answer is no, they do not. They're worried about how much bread they have with them the one loaf. Remember, that's all they had was one loaf. So, this is something that we have to understand ourselves. We have to become understand. That's why St. Mark wrote this in the Gospels. It's part of the humility of the apostles because he wasn't among the apostles. The apostles are the one reporting to him that they now could understand in the later decades, probably about 20 years later, that they were hard of heart during the ministry and they didn't comprehend. And THIS IS GOING TO BE SOMETHING THAT WILL TAKE THE WORDS OF JESUS, THE INITIAL PREACHING OF JESUS WHEN HE SAID REPENT AND BELIEVE FOR THE KINGDOM OF HEAVEN IS AT HAND. THEY NEED TO REPENT OF THEIR HARDNESS OF HEART THAT PREVENTS THEM FROM UNDERSTANDING. And what prevents them from understanding is ultimately their lack of faith in Jesus. That's what brings on this kind of hardness of heart. And even though they had seen the miracles, and Jesus reminds them that they saw the miracles of the multiplication of loaves and fish twice, they had seen the blind see, the deaf hear, and the lame walk, and yet they remain deaf and blind and not understanding. This is what what goes on for them. And ultimately, and this is going to be one of the points, especially in the structure of Mark's gospel, this explains why Jesus our Lord told the people who got healed OR EXERCISE, DON'T TELL ANYBODY. BECAUSE THE MIRACLES WILL NOT GIVE YOU A DEEP ENOUGH UNDERSTANDING OF WHO JESUS IS. WE BECOME LIKE THE PHARISEES, AND WE ACCEPT THEIR LEAVEN. IF WE SAY, WELL, IF I COULD ONLY SEE A MIRACLE, THEN I'D BELIEVE. A LOT OF PEOPLE STILL SAY THAT. AND THAT'S NOT TRUE. It's just not true. It's going to ultimately be only when the apostles experience the death of Jesus and His resurrection and the coming of the Holy Spirit that they will finally be able to understand. The miracles are there to help people and they're good, but they don't ultimately open the mind and understanding. They don't open the ears. They don't open the eyes. They don't open the mind to faith. And it's going to be the death and resurrection. Then you'll be able to say, as Mark writes at the beginning of the Gospel, the Gospel of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. That's what he proclaimed and that's what he wants us to understand. Now something that you might want to think about in terms of your own prayer. Picture yourself in the boat at this moment with the apostles. Imagine that you're with them, and you're rowing across, and Jesus is consumed with his thoughts, especially about the Pharisees' lack of faith and the Herodians' political machinations, or things that they're up to. And he is also dealing with you know, keeping up his strength for the next step of this very arduous journey that will be taking him soon to Calvary. So that's what's going on. And what would be on your mind? The apostles were worried about bread. What are some of the distractions that come to you on a regular basis? So worry about your bills your job, your retirement, Um, is it worry about your kids, about your health, all kinds of different worries come into mind, and how we deal with the various kinds of respect or lack of respect we get from our peers or from our bosses, These these are the normal things that people think about. And consider the ways that these different concerns come to your attention especially when you're hearing the readings at Mass, the various readings from Scripture, the sermon, the prayers of Mass, and you're at the consecration, you're getting ready for receiving Holy Communion, all these key points. And these worries form a background to your prayer. And think about our Lord's rebuke. OF THE APOSTLES, WHAT WOULD HE SAY ABOUT MY WORRIES AND THE THINGS THAT ARE BOTHERING ME? AND WHAT ABOUT THE REAL FEAR THAT HE'S WORRIED ABOUT, THE FEAR THAT WE DON'T HAVE FAITH? RECENT SURVEY THAT JUST CAME OUT THIS WEEK IS POINTING OUT THAT ONLY 30% OF THE WHOLE COUNTRY CARES ABOUT FAITH IN GOD AND THE PRACTICE OF THAT FAITH AND A BIT OVER 30%, I THINK 39% CARE ABOUT LOYALTY AND PATRIOTISM AND PRIDE AND COUNTRY. Um, BUT OUR POINT WOULD BE THAT FAITH IS NOT A BIG ISSUE. AND WHAT WE HAVE TO ASK IS ABOUT WHERE OUR ALLEGIANCES ARE. ARE THEY WITH FAITH IN OUR LORD JESUS CHRIST? OR IS HE GOING TO ASK US THOSE QUESTIONS? ARE YOU BLIND? WOULD HE SAY TO EACH ONE OF US, ARE YOU DEAF? AND MOST FEARFULLY, ARE YOU HARD OF HEART TO ACCEPT THE GOSPEL? WHAT WOULD YOU SAY TO JESUS IN RESPONSE TO THOSE QUESTIONS? A GOOD WAY TO MEDITATE DURING LENT. AND I WOULD CONCLUDE THE PRAYER WITHIN OUR FATHER ASKING FORGIVENESS but also seeking to do the will of the Father here on earth as He wants it done in heaven. All right, we're going to take a little break. And we'll come back in a couple of minutes and start taking a look at the topic of the next book and then you know, some of your questions and comments. So please stay with us. Thank you. All right, welcome back. Uh, the next series that we're, we're going to be going through will be on a book I wrote called Wheat and Tears: Restoring the Moral Vision of a Scandalized Church. Again, you can get that at EWTNRC.com. It's item number 81098. But it's something that uh, I wrote for a variety of reasons. Uh, in fact, I used that time of the pandemic, you know, when things were slowing down a bit to get this book written. But it had been on my heart for some time. You know, the number of surveys, I just mentioned a survey that came out this week saying that interest in religion is down to about 30%. And the number of people who even believe in God has gone from the 90 percentile. Uh, back in the 80s to closer to 60%, you know, uh, 80, well, 80% to 60%. Uh, it's it's really gone down. And there are a lot of issues at stake, a lot of issues. Um, you know, one of the reasons that we see uh, very low trust in clergy has, and there are a variety of reasons you have to take a look at, BUT THERE'VE BEEN PLENTY OF CLERGY WHO STARTED DENYING TRADITIONAL CATHOLIC TEACHING. AND YOU HAVE PEOPLE SAY, WELL, IF THE CLERGY DON'T THINK THAT IT'S VERY IMPORTANT, I DON'T THINK THE CHURCH, THE BIBLE, OR THE CLERGY ARE IMPORTANT. WE HAVE BISHOPS AND PRIESTS WHO DON'T ONLY QUESTION CHURCH DOCTRINE, but sometimes outright deny it. That's a reality. And when priests and ministers teach in a way that is contrary to the church's official teaching, whether in Scripture, in the magisterium, or the catechism, again, people say, well, if they don't believe in this, why should I stick around? There's no reason. That's just good sense. And some of these guys were saying, well, these, some of these issues, especially on sexual morality, don't really matter that much. not that big a deal. And so people say, well, then I'm going to walk. That is just going across all lines. of the, It's not a Catholic issue. It's an issue of uh, Christians and Jews across the country and throughout the West. And this is something that uh, people oftentimes refuse to even try to live traditional Catholic teaching and morality because they feel it's hypocritical. And they, they don't want to be hypocrites, so they say, well, if I can't keep the church's teaching and the priest or the minister doesn't teach it, you know, then I'll just skip it. At least I won't be a hypocrite. I'll be committing sin, but at least I won't be pretending that I'm a good Christian when, in fact, I'm not. But then another very, very serious cause for people's loss of confidence in the clergy has been the series of sexual abuse scandals and financial scandals. Again, this is not just a Catholic issue. I would say that in many ways the news media especially targeted the Catholic Church. There's no doubt of that in my mind. But it exists outside the Catholic Church, and it exists not only in the Church. It's a problem among doctors, and other professionals. It's a huge problem in the public schools so that uh, you know, the, at this point, you know, while, while Catholic clergy, about 3% of Catholic clergy were engaged in the uh, abuse of minors. That's what it was, 3%. In the public schools, in the 90s, it was 9.4% of teachers and administrators were involved. And today it's closer to 14, it's a little over 14%. So we're, this is in a culture where sexual abuse of children is widespread, not only among the professionals, but even more so in homes. That's where the majority of it's going on. It's a huge issue throughout the culture. But the clergy were not much better than what was going on among school teachers and faculty and administrators or in the general culture. And as followers of Christ, we have a a call to be even better. Now, for that reason, a lot of people lost their trust in the clergy and in the hierarchy for not dealing with it. The uh, victims, of course, you know they. I and mean, one of the things I would keep thinking during the scandal: how can these young people go to a priest for confession? How would they trust him? And that—that's that, a legitimate concern. And they oftentimes, you know, can't even talk about their own victimization. It sometimes takes 20, 30 years to talk about it because it's so painful. And this is something where priests, I mean, our role as priests, a lot of seminaries don't teach this much anymore, but it's in the Vatican Council and in other documents of the church that the priest acts in persona Christi, in the person of Christ Christ. And if the guy who's acts in the person of Christ is this way, you know, what way to do? And then, again, it's compounded by the bishops and superiors of orders who sometimes didn't know how to handle it, sometimes tried to deal with it and just say, well, we'll just smooth it out and it will get them to be better, and then reassigned them where they did it again. And they didn't report what is in many states a crime in some states it's not. Um, thanks to, uh, you know, some of the sexologists who try to make it not criminal to abuse children, but other plate, but it's still wrong. And this is something that has been a, a horrible situation. And this is you know. I, you know Catholics know that priests are human beings, and they've dealt with issues of, you know, priests being alcoholics and a variety of other things, but uh, and also priests denying the faith, you know, the the attacks that came from priests and priest theologians and bishops against humane vitae, Pope Saint Paul the Sixth teaching. Against birth control, reaffirming. He didn't invent it. He reaffirmed what had been taught since the first century. But that certainly was a, a factor in people, you know, realizing that the priests are not concerned with the church teaching, and it opened the way for them to give themselves permission to disobey it. And This is something that the church has had to deal with a lot of damage. The brunt of the damage is borne by the victims of the sexual abuse and by their families. That's just a fact of life. It's a horrible fact of life. Um, The families oftentimes trusted clergy, trusted the priests, and, and the kids did, and their trust was abused as they were physically abused and sexually abused. So there's a lot of turmoil, a lot of anger against the priest who did the abuse and against the bishops and superiors that didn't address it correctly. Sometimes they seem to act more like corporate officers than as pastors. That happened. And this uh, sometimes, priests, I mean, people you know because of the way it was oftentimes treated in the press that we were treated like we're abusers as well you know it was complete strangers at the airport about three times for me and I know it happened to other priests when we we're in clerics that people will uh, you know like one lady said well abuse any kids today father I mean and that's happened to, you know more than uh, three times four times, I remember four times now, uh, other priests too, so that this is embarrassing for us and causes us shame, but it's, that's not nearly as big an issue as it is for those people who suffered it. So what I want to do in this book is deal with an approach to the problem. There, there are many approaches that have to be dealt with. A lot of them are outside of my ability. There's need for psychological counseling. there's need for financial uh, concerns to be addressed, and the need for the law and law enforcement to be involved when there is a crime, uh, all this so that uh, and, and really, the church has made great strides. I don't know if you remember, but um, Bill Donahue has written a book about the incredible change that has happened. And that the number of new cases of such abuse is almost flatlined. It's very few anymore. A number of old cases come up, but new cases are very rare because it is being addressed. But those legal, financial, and psychological concerns are extremely important. But there's another level, and that's what I'd like to address in this book. How do we approach this in prayer? Father General of the Society of Jesus, Father Sosa, uh, has asked us Jesuits, in particular, uh, one of our tasks, to help the church deal with the sexual abuse crisis in a spiritual way, to help people to lead in prayer in this regard. He sent a letter to us calling us to help do that. That's something that we, we need to do, especially to help the victims and their families to deal with the spiritual problems that they have. And then to also, you know, I've given a couple retreats, including to priests, using this material to help us priests to be alert. TO OUR OWN NEED FOR SPIRITUAL CONVERSION AND GROWTH. AND TO HELP US ALL SPIRITUALLY UNDERSTAND DEALING WITH THE FAILURES, BUT ALSO COMING TO CHRIST WITH THE PAIN THAT THIS ALL CAUSES. IT'S SOMETHING WHERE WE WANT TO MEET JESUS, ESPECIALLY in his passion, his suffering, and his death so that he will be the one that ultimately heals the victims and heals the rest of the church so that all the issues that have to be dealt with in terms of justice are addressed and dealing with these problems that are caused psychologically with the help of psychologists and doctors, but then for ourselves to make ourselves available with the gospel so that Christ can enter into the depths of the church's pain at this point in history and call us to healing and grant us a healing only He can do. This is something that is very, very important. So that's why I wrote this book, and we'll begin with the Apostles' failure. We just took a look in Mark chapter 8, the Apostles' hard-heartedness and failure to understand. We'll see a lot more detail about that as we go through this material, okay? So that's, that's the plan for the next few months. All right, I'll stop there and I'll let's take a look at a, caller that's coming. We have Maria calling from California. Maria, are you there?
1: Yes, Father, I'm here.
0: Yes, what can we do for you?
1: Uh, in last week's show, you mentioned the scripture passage from the Old Testament. Mm-hmm. When God swore to the Israelites, they will never enter his rest. Does that mean they're going to hell? What does uh, not entering God's rest
0: mm-hmm. Okay. This is, um, you know, first of all, this is from Psalm 95. And that is addressing a specific issue. When the Israelites tested God at Massa and Meribah, this is, you can find that in the book of Numbers, Uh, I forget the exact chapter off the top of my head, but the Lord, the people tested God because they didn't have enough water. And he said, and also when the people sent spies into the land, and this and all the spies except for Joshua and Caleb said, we can't go into that country. I know it's the land that God promised us, but the people are big and they have walled cities and we can never take it. So we, we don't want to go. And the people rebelled. Because of that, that generation had to wander in the wilderness, the desert of the Sinai for 40 years. He swore to them, that they would not enter into the rest of being in the promised land. And this is mentioned by the psalmist as an example that makes sure you don't test God because if you test God, you will not enter into His rest either. And then... In the letter to the Hebrews, I think it's chapter 3, he also quotes that psalm and says that applies to us in terms of eternal life. If we don't have faith and if we keep testing God, then we won't enter into eternal life. So for the Israelites uh, at the time of Moses, it applied to their failure to trust God and they would not be able to enter into the promised land, and they didn't. They all died in the desert. But for us, it applies to whether or not we will enter into heaven or not. That's what's key there. So it's not saying that no Israelite will ever enter heaven. That's not what it's saying. But it's a warning to us so that we are ready. Did that help, Maria? Oh, I think she's gone. All right, we need to uh, take a break. We'll come back in a couple of minutes with more of your questions and emails and questions from our studio audience. So please stay with us. Now, tomorrow, I'd like you to join me for EWTN Live. That'll be Wednesday night at 8 p.m. Eastern Time. We'll be talking with the Senior Director of the Institute for Faith and Freedom, Dr. Paul Kengor. And we'll be discussing the life and conversion of Bella Dodd, a member of the Communist Party who tried to destroy the Catholic Church from within by filling seminaries with communist sympathizers. So we'll take a look at that and her conversion as well. That's the most important part. All right, so now let's go to a call. We have Kay in the great state of South Carolina. Kay, what can we do for you?
1: Yes, good afternoon, Father. I had a, I went to all through Catholic school, and I had a, a, prof, a teacher in theology only in eighth grade. He at that time was chaplain at a state prison. And he said to us that he has never met a person that committed a mortal sin. And huh. that has stayed with me all this time. And I, I just don't, I like your take on that.
0: Well, first of all, did he say, uh, did, he, did he point out where this wonderful community is? Yeah, it's a state prison in Broadway, New Jersey. It was a state prison. AND NOBODY HAD COMMITTED A MORTAL SIN. THAT'S WHAT he's, HE DON'T THINK ANYWHERE HE HAD EVER MET ANYBODY THAT COMMITTED
1: A MORTAL SIN. AND I WAS THINKING THERE ARE SO MANY THINGS THAT ARE REQUIRED TO COMMIT A MORTAL SIN THAT MAYBE THAT IS POSSIBLE.
0: WELL, NOW LET'S, let's TAKE A LOOK AT THAT, THOUGH. Um, YOU KNOW, uh, FIRST OF ALL, THAT WOULD, IF THAT WERE THE CASE, that would mean there are a lot of people incarcerated there who are innocent because a lot of them are accused of very serious crimes. And if there are that many people who are innocent of committing crime and serious crime, then maybe it would be possible that they don't have mortal sin. But, you know, for instance... Uh, the difficulty, I don't know that I f- would find it so difficult uh, to, to to commit mortal sin. Um, let, let's take the most gross case. If somebody commits a murder, would that be a mortal sin, Kay? Um, yeah,
1: but Father, one of the requirements is that sufficient reflection. And a lot of these people really don't think it through, and they don't have the... You know,
0: like the person that shot up that school yesterday, that person yeah. was crazy. So, Hot, wait, wait, whoa, you know? whoa, we don't know that. We don't know no, if the, the mental state of that person. Right. We don't. And here you have someone who had called, a fr- in that case, we know that he called a friend and said, I'm going to die today, and you're going to read about it in the news. Remember that? And that he drew out directions and, uh, and made drawings of the school that person had attended. That sounds like forethought to me. Furthermore, and I, I don't know the state of this person's mind, but I've certainly known murderers in my day. And one of the questions that I think if you asked any, almost any murderer, at least the ones I've met, would you want someone to kill you? Would you want someone to murder you? And usually they don't. Same thing with thieves. I don't know how many thieves you know. I've come across a few in my day. And... One of the things that I find, I'd say universal among the thieves, is that not one of them wants to be robbed. In fact, I would even say this, I'll go so far, they have a very low tolerance for somebody to steal their stuff. And they are oftentimes willing to express the um, concern that they will kill the person that steals their stuff. They don't put up with it. Now, the reason I mention that is this. Do you want, uh, because you may not be able to put it in very fancy theological terminology. A lot of people can't do that, I admit. But if you are able to think, well, I don't want... PEOPLE TO STEAL MY LIVELIHOOD AND I DON'T WANT THEM TO TORTURE ME OR SHOOT ME AS I JUST GO ABOUT MY DAILY BUSINESS, THEN I HAVE ENOUGH AWARENESS THAT I SHOULD NOT DO IT TO OTHERS. THAT IS ONE OF THE MOST BASIC PRINCIPLES OF MORAL THOUGHT. AND TO TRY AND MAKE IT overly complex that you have, uh, I I think, is a mistake. Drug dealers, I mean, I have little difficulty in believing that, for instance, the present-day drug cartels that are selling fentanyl to innocent people who are not looking for fentanyl. They're not asking, oh, I need some fentanyl. No, they're buying other drugs that are laced with fentanyl by these criminals on the other side of the border. And that they, I don't know who else would be more aware than they, that it's a very small amount that kills. And they're just putting it out to unsuspecting people that are looking for Um, other drugs, legitimate drugs, not even illegal drugs. They're looking to buy cheap uh, medications and they're laced with fentanyl, and they die. A 100-plus thousand a year now. I would say that they're responsible. I would say that the people who are doing human trafficking, where they are stealing women and some men, but certainly, boy and girl children, and putting them up for sexual uh, use that they get paid for, and they keep the kids on drugs instead of using chains, they hold them with drugs. You think that they don't know what they're doing? I would beg to differ. And I think that they will have a major accounting to give to God for murder for killing people by poisoning drugs with fentanyl, with human trafficking, and plenty of other crimes. And I don't think that that's something that is that hard to do to commit mortal sin. I really don't. All right, we have a question from our studio audience. Ma'am, where are you from? Oh, Father, I'm from Springfield, Virginia, visiting Alabama, which is wonderful. Good. Wonderful to have you here. What can we do for you? Thank you for taking my question, Father. My question is about Bible reading. I would like to read the Bible, Mm -hmm. but unfortunately,
1: there's not enough time with work and school. But I was told, which appeased me a little bit, that if you go to Mass every day, listen to the readings on Sundays, there are two readings and every day there's one, you would have read the Bible in a year's time. Mm-hmm. The whole Bible.
0: It's that- yeah, not quite the case. Um, you have to keep in mind that the daily mass readings are a two-year cycle. It would take two years and you will get almost all of the Bible. A few passages are, are not read just because they they might have parallels in the other Gospels. Okay, so they'll they'll do that. Uh, And then on Sundays, it's a three-year cycle. So you will read the highlights and the most of Scripture, but not all of it. And there's a priest, I, I can't think of his name off the top of my head, who's doing the Bible in a year, where he reads enough of the, you know, 365 selections from the Bible. Uh, and it. Uh, oh, father, Mike Schmitz. That's it. Father Mike Schmitz. And you can listen to that on a podcast in your phone when you're driving to work. How about that? And that way you will cover the Bible in a year. Okay. Uh, but at daily mass, you will get the vast majority of Bible uh, in, uh, in the two year daily cycle and the three year. Cycle And then if you add to it that you read the Liturgy of the Hours, you'll get even more. Sir, where are you from? I'm from Newark, Delaware, Father. Good to have you here. Welcome. Thank you. Thank you. And what can we do for you today? Well, earlier in this program, you spoke of Jesus in the Gospel. Uh, advising the disciples that they shouldn't be seduced by the leaven of the Pharisees. Mm -hmm. And I was wondering specifically what are the details of that analogy and what was Jesus referring to in that case? What he's referring to there is what happened immediately before this when the Pharisees, and this is after Jesus had multiplied loaves and fish, healed a, a man who was deaf and mute, and they said, well, give us a sign. Um, (laughs) what did you just see? You know, and no matter what sign he gave them, it was never enough. That's was, that was the loving of the Pharisees. And there are a lot of people like that today. That's not an ancient problem. There are people today, no matter what they see, they still don't believe, you know, they say, well, no, that was okay, but I want to see a bigger miracle, you know, no, you don't. You don't want to believe. That would be what the Lord is saying there. That's what He said to the Pharisees. I have a caller uh, again. Almost didn't see that, Susan. What can we do for you?
2: Hi, Father. I'm gonna try. To, I have a long question, but I'm gonna try to make it as quick as possible.
0: Yeah, we only have a couple minutes.
2: Okay. The my in the end, the question is, it's about priests and not just in the Catholic Church, but everywhere with. men and women have hurt children, been pedophiles. My question is what bothers the communities about the church, specifically Mm -hmm. the Catholic church, is that these priests are allowed to continue to give sermons in the church and to continue Mm -hmm. to be a priest. Mm -hmm. Long story short, I tried to kill myself once a long time ago. Mm -hmm. I truly wanted to die. I beg God not to save me, to forgive me. At the moment I pulled that trigger, I could see the apparition of Jesus, and my life changed after that.
1: Good for you. But
2: at the same time, by all rights, I should have been dead. But at the same time, my penance from God, I lost my spirit for almost three years. Mm-hmm. And if you truly believe in the spirit, you'll know what I'm talking about. Yeah. And that is like the worst punishment. Sure. Ever.
0: Yep. No. This would be... Uh, exactly. And, you know, I would say this, you're right that, especially in the earlier days of this, that the priests uh, were not dealt with. You know, This had to be stopped. And it was something that I've seen over these last decades especially since 2002, that the bishops are taking this on and priests who are accused, even accused, are now immediately removed from ministry until they've proven innocent, then they can return. Or if they are guilty, most of the time they admit it, then they're removed permanently. They can't do this anymore. That's been one that your pain has helped make a lot of the bishops aware, the vast majority of bishops aware, they have to make sure they protect the young. So sorry, we'll talk more about that. Um, Right now, I'm flat out of time, but we'll be praying for you and others. So may Almighty God bless you and keep you all, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit and guide you in all of your ways by His peace. Thank you, and God bless you. Um...